points today. One is time with his friends. One is time with the Passover pilgrims, dealing with the people that were there, and then time with his father. An amazing chapter, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'll read that aloud. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Very interesting. That's, I think that's the only verse in the Bible that mentions that point. They wanted to kill Lazarus. And it says, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be in your house today. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the commemoration of uh, the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, our one and only Savior. He officially, publicly presented himself as the coming King. And so, Father, we thank you for this great testimony that, Lord, it resonates even unto this day. And, Father, we think about the song that was sung. Where would you be if Jesus had come five minutes ago? Our decisions need to be clear. They need to be made. And they must be the right ones. That is to ask you to forgive us for our sins. Lord, to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins, and to trust Christ as our Savior. He is the one and only way. He is the, the all-sufficient Savior of all mankind, and he wants to save us. He wants to forgive us. And Father, we pray that if there's any here today that have not yet trusted Christ, Lord, we pray that this is the day of salvation. Lord, help us, each and every one today, in our hearts and our minds, lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate the, the commemoration of this uh, wonderful day, this triumphal entry, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's amazing, it's just before this huge event, we have uh, the, uh, uh, the anointing of, of oil with Mary here. John chapter 12 records the second major crisis in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first occurred in John chapter 6, verse 66, which is pretty interesting. John 6, 66 says, and many of his disciples would, would walk with him no more. John 6, 66, it's pretty appropriate that, that would be the verse. And uh, even though Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, uh, they walked away. In John chapter 12, we see here this crisis with the, uh, with, with the triumphal entry and the things that come with it. And then the third crisis is going to come in John chapter 19, where he's crucified. And it has never ceased to amaze me how Jesus could come in um, uh, and less than a week later be crucified. Coming in thronged by believers all over the place, laying down palm branches in front of him as he comes. And we'll get to that in a minute. And then less than a week later, they turn on him and they crucify him. 
It's an amazing set of circumstances. But it was all ordained. God had a plan. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ going to the cross was absolutely essential for our, for our salvation. Have you ever asked the question, well, what if they had received him as king? Now, that's a question that's been bantered around, kicked around a little bit. What if they had received him as king? Well, it's kind of one of those what ifs that weren't meant to be. It was meant to be that Jesus would go to the cross and suffer and die for our sins. And what we see here is in, uh, in the first 11 verses is this incredible act of worship. Now, it's, it's wonderful. This act, this, the triumphal entry is in all four Gospels, which is one of few events that are in all four Gospels. And this anointing uh, by Mary is, is recorded. And it, what it shows us is Jesus, just before this huge event, he wanted to spend some time with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it was a huge event. Lazarus, of course, had been raised from the dead. In verse 1, it says, then six days before the Passover, uh, came to Bethany, where then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made a supper, and Mary anoints his feet, and it says in verse 3 that, uh, that Mary, a pound of ointment, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And it's amazing. So you have this incredible act of worship. Very expensive. It's kind of like Mary, Mary didn't want to worship Jesus and have it not cost anything. You know, real worship really does cost. As a matter of fact, worship is sacrifice. That's what worship really means. It talks about a, a sacrifice. And kind of like David back in 2 Samuel chapter 24, he didn't want to just take the property that was going to be used for the temple and so on. He wanted to pay for it. And, and Mary realized, no, this is going to cost me. And it cost her Financially, this pound of ointment was a huge, it's like a life savings that she took and poured out for, for Jesus. She took the place of a slave when she came to the feet, the feet of Jesus. She undid her hair, something Jewish women don't do in public. I mean, that was an honor and you know, very special. You, you place your hair up and it's to be clean and away from any of the defilements of the dirt and traffic of the day. And, but she undid all that to wipe the feet of Jesus. I think that's absolutely wonderful. To say that that was a beautiful act of deep devotion and love would be such an understatement. She took the place of a slave, she undid her hair, and she was, uh, she was criticized. And <laughs> Who criticized her? Who criticized her here? It was Judas. Judas. What's amazing is, even after this event, the disciples at Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of, you gonna, one, one of you will betray me, they're like, oh, who is it? Nobody even knew it was Judas. But the interpretation of what he said, of course, given here in Scripture, it says that he said in verse 5, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And I love the interpretation. I love it when the Bible does this. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. He had a habit of stealing money, evidently. This was not the first time they did it. This is the inference, anyway. And, uh, and so Judas wanted to steal the money. What a, what a, what a lousy person he is, right? I know we, he was the son of perdition. He, he was about to commit far worse transgression than this, but this is, this is pretty bad. He wanted to take that money that he said should go to the poor, and he's just going to keep it. And uh, he's going to take it for himself, which is one of the reasons why when moms have babies on the way and it's a boy, 
One of the names they're never going to come up with is Judas, right? Mary, you hear a lot for a lot of good reasons. Mary, how many Marys do we have in here? Oh, there, Mary Ellen, there you go. You got two of them, that's not bad. How many Judases do we have here? <laughs> None. Why? Nobody wants the association. Mary's got terrific association with him. I mean, mostly because of you two, right? But also, biblically, no one's going to name their, their child Judas. It was horrible. You know what's really kind of startling is that Jesus allowed Judas to be one of his apostles. He knew it was going to happen. Judas was on the inner circle of Jesus' ministry, saw everything with his own eyes as, as it unfolded, and he allowed, Jesus allowed Judas to be in there. Amazing. Walked so close with someone he knew was going to stab him in the back. Amazing. But in this time, just before the triumphal entry, um, Jesus spent some time with his friends. And these are, they're kind of representative people when you think about it. Of course, Mary, or Martha, was the one who represents work. Now, she was always one laboring and making sure everything's ready and so on and so forth. Mary was the one who represented worship. Jesus came in the room. She just, she just loved being with him. Now, this, isn't, this is a separate instance. The first instance was the Mary's, Martha was cumbered about with much serving, said, Lord, carest thou not that I'm doing all this work by myself, and Mary is over there sitting at your feet. And she's not even getting the dinner ready. And Jesus said, well, she chose the more important part, and it's not going to be taken away from her. Then here, the next episode, we have Mary anointing his feet with oil. Extra her life savings. In most people, this would be the equivalent of life savings. And then humbling herself, using her hair, anointing his feet. Why? I, I, if there's an example of someone who really loved Jesus, who wasn't religious, wasn't just following on the outside, because it's easy for people to, to follow on the outside. You ever wonder sometimes you're just following on the outside? I mean, I think we all go through periods of life. I mean, are, are you a hypocrite? But I mean, you have, you have, I've done that before. I'm thinking, you know, is my heart really in what I'm doing? You know, going door to door, I, there's a lot of things we do by schedule. We just sermon prep, study, visits, all the, it's, it's schedule. And I love my schedule. It's a wonderful schedule. But I love it when I prayerfully approach something, the Lord, use this. You know, so many times it's been so great, and I won't say it's most of the time, but many times going door to door, I, I just think, Lord, open the door that I can have some words to speak to this person in this house. I haven't met them yet. And sometimes I'll be the optimist, and I'll say, Lord, I'm their pastor. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> They're still waiting to learn it. But Mary loved Jesus. She really loved him. It wasn't forced. It wasn't conforming. It wasn't checking the right box on some spiritual test. She loved him. I think it's terrific. And so Jesus, before his big entry, he wanted to go spend some time with friends. Did Jesus know this was going to happen? Of course he knew it was going to happen. He didn't, he didn't plan it, say, Mary, you must do this. But he knew what his friends were going to do. And he also knew, this is pretty interesting, and it's only recorded in John's Gospel, it says, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. I would. I mean, that's pretty good evidence. The Bible says that a wicked and adulterous nation seeketh after a sign. And so sometimes people will go to, like some of the events that Jesus had, he said, you're here because I fed you. You're not here to really hear. 
So there are some times that people follow some message because they expect to have a miracle, and, and that may be. Lazarus was a walking miracle, but terrific. I mean, because you might say, you know, uh, Victor might tell me, hey, you know, Pastor, I prayed and, and my, uh, my, my cold is gone. My, my, uh, he, had, he, had, he had malaria all throughout his pancreas. He had pancreatic malaria. And it went away. And he'd say, Pastor, that's so great. And we'd say, oh, that's really wonderful. But we didn't really see his pancreas. Would you present your pancreas up here? For we didn't see his pancreas. We couldn't. But man, you raised somebody from the dead. Somebody who's well-known in the town. He's been dead for four days. Everybody saw. The funeral procession was made. The tomb was sealed. Mary and Martha were saying, he's dead. You can't open the tomb. He stinketh. It's four days already. Then Jesus raised him dead. That's incredible. God did these things, and God did, does the miracles throughout Scripture to authenticate the message that's about to come, or to authenticate the message that was just given, but it's to authenticate the message. Lazarus authenticated Jesus, and that's why they want to put him to death. But Jesus, before his triumphal entry, wanted to spend some time with friends. Well, now we have, in verses 12 through 19 of John chapter 12, Jesus' triumphal entry. In verse 12, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm, palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So they didn't even realize the import of what they were doing, but they would remember later. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his, out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear records. <laughs> this is amazing. They're seeing everything. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. He is literally turning the world upside down. Why? He's officially, it's, it's official. It's official. He's proclaiming himself to be the king. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. John, John's gospel takes us from this, this beautiful, quiet, uh, intimate time with his friends, with this incredible demonstration of just pure love, nothing Nothing fancy, it's, it's, not, it's not ceremonial, it's not, it's not really structured. It's just Mary saying, I love you. And she anoints his feet with oil, with her hair. I mean, this is, and everybody else standing around, this is incredible. Of course, Judas, you know, he says, oh, we should have taken that money. And of course, he's just a big old fat liar anyway. And I, mean, I feel bad for Judas, I really do. I mean, but he got what was coming. It was, it was a terrible thing. Anyway, so Jesus just left this incredible scene of, of, uh, of wonderful, intimate uh, time with his, with his friends. And he comes in and he sees this crowd. And, you know, there was a lot of different people that were at the crowd. Uh, Jesus was openly announcing to the people that he is indeed the king of Israel. Keep your finger there in John 12 and turn back with me to John chapter 1, verse 49 for just a moment. John 1, verse 49.
Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Another proclamation that the Messiah would be the King of Israel. And Jesus will be the King. He'll continue on the, the throne of David, and that's one of the promises of the Messiah. And a lot of people were there, but when they came to see Jesus, they had their own expectations. They really did. A lot of these people said, well, this is going to be terrific. Matter of fact, when Jesus comes in, he's, he's very well known. Every, look at all the thousands of people here. This is Passover week, by the way. This is the main holiday on the Jewish calendar. And if someone's going to come, if any Jew, there are three times a year when the Jews had to come to Jerusalem. Passover being the main one. So no matter where you were as a Jew, it was your job to come back to Jerusalem for Passover. The place was packed. All the rooms inside Jerusalem were probably filled, and probably, most likely, on all the hills round about Jerusalem, you'd have the campings of people coming in from other areas. It was packed. And it was at this time, the most uh, populous time in, 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 in contemporaneous history for Jesus, when everyone would be there. And then everyone was there, and they threw down palm branches. And Jesus comes in on, on uh, an ass, a colt, the foal of an ass. He comes into Jerusalem. The palm trees, the palm leaves branches are set down as emblematic of peace, the king of peace, the prince of peace. St. Hosanna, the son of David, recognizing his kingship and his, his, his rule that's going to come. And a lot of these people expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman government that was in charge at that time. I wonder what the Roman soldiers were thinking. Now, these people that came with this understanding... When Jesus came in, oh, he, he cleansed the temple. He overturned the, the tables uh, a, a couple of times. At, at, within a few days of this moment, he did it twice. So he had that level of authority. But when he didn't come in and overthrow the government, a lot of people didn't get what they want. And they were upset. They were disappointed. I thought he was going to take, take over the, the kingdom to, re to get rid of the Romans. We're going to set up an earthly kingdom. That wasn't his call. That wasn't the job at the time. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then would my servants, then would my servants fight. You know, it's interesting. Nothing's recorded about the Roman viewpoint on the triumphal entry, but they're the, they're the ones in charge, they're the guards, they're the soldiers. And it wasn't uncommon, I read, for Jewish nationalists to try to arouse the people around these holidays to, to get them into some kind of, you know, rebellious kind of state of mind where they'd start rioting or that kind of, they would try to do that. And so the Romans, they're looking at this and maybe they're thinking, well, we better be on guard with everything that's going on and they might try to do something. But this triumphal entry, someone speculated that the Roman soldiers in looking at this triumphal entry are thinking, <laughs> you're kidding me, that's a triumphal entry? When the Romans had a triumphal entry, they'd have, they'd have a ticker tape parade. It was, they would have columns of soldiers, and, and the, the conquered people would be put on display, and some of them would be put in the Colosseum to fight wild beasts. Compared to the Roman triumphal entry, they must have looked at this and said, this is so small. Well, this is not as important as a Roman triumphal entry. But what did the triumphal entry mean to the people of Israel? We look back on it, we look back on it, and say, this is, this is amazing. You'd be hard-pressed to find Jesus say, 
clearly in multiple times, I am the savior of the world. I'm the son of God, follow me. Now there are statements made to that level, but never, never to the, with the clarity and precision of this triumphal entry. He completely fulfilled all the prophecies. In um, Turn with me to Psalm 118, verse 26 for just a minute. Psalm 118, verse 26. Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. This is kind of the thought in partial verse that they're quoting. What, did, what happened when Jesus came in? Well, of course, a lot of people had their, their different um, expectations of what Jesus is going to do. What did Jesus do? Well, we read in the other accounts that Jesus wept when he saw Jerusalem. And he sees the souls that are still hanging in the balance, unprepared. They're as sheep not having a shepherd. And we look at, but if you look at the, at the triumphal entry just subjectively, you say, wow, what a great success this was. Well, it was a success on the outside, but on the inside, where it really matters, it wasn't such a great success in the hearts of the people. It was a flawless success as far as Jesus presenting his ministry, clarifying he is the son of God. He came through the east gate of Jerusalem, exactly what was prophesied. As a matter of fact, there was so much thought on the Messiah coming, because they were looking for the Messiah. Some are still looking for the Messiah. But when they were looking for the Messiah back in this day, they were conflicted because they knew that Messiah would be the king of Israel. So when he comes, he's going to be the king. He's going to be in charge. But then they also had this image from Isaiah 52 and 53, that he would be a suffering servant, that he, he, would, he would bear the sins of the people. So in Jewish minds, there are some people at this time thought there would be two messiahs because they couldn't reconcile the fact, well, how could the messiah be a suffering servant and a king at the same time? Well, Jesus did it perfectly, just not at the same time. Jesus was a suffering servant. And in, uh, what's, what's amazing is, in synagogues even to this day, when they're on their regular reading schedule, going through Isaiah or different parts, they skip right over Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah, cha uh, Isaiah chapter 52 and Isaiah chapter 53 because of the clarity in which it presents the Messiah as being a suffering servant. Jesus was the son of God, and it was prophesied from forever that he would come and bear our sins on the cross of Calvary. Amazing, amazing. But he was also be the king of Israel, and they're both being presented at the time of this triumphal entry, and it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And it, the, the, the Pharisees said, behold, the world is going after him. Now, it's an exaggeration, not the whole world, but it sure looked like it to them. And then, lastly, we have, so he had time with his friends, we had time with the, his Passover people, Passover pilgrims, then lastly, time with his father. This is amazing. All same chapter, all very closely connected. But watch what, watch at the authentication of this incredible time. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a time like this. You have Jesus' baptism, which you have Father, Son, Holy Ghost there. You have Jesus, the triumphal entry, we have all of these various things going on that we're going to cover. And then you have the crucifixion and resurrection. This is a very, very special time that God is, uh, is marking here. And in John chapter 12, we're going to jump down to verses 28 through 38. 
And I'm going to read that. We're going to spend just a couple minutes on it. And uh, so he's still with the crowd, a lot going on, right after the triumphal entry. And he says, in starting verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, <laughs> can you imagine hearing the voice of God? This is what happened. Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. Then there came, then came there a voice from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Again, quoting back to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Spending time with his father, but it's just amazing connection, amazing demonstration Jesus always had this wonderful, beautiful, spotless, pristine communication with his father. Always did, at all times. But God, in his grace, in front of the people, connected at this time. What a, what a great call of mercy this is. You have Lazarus walking around, and people are saying, look at this, this is incredible. The Pharisees are saying, this is crazy, everybody's following after him. The multitudes are welcoming him with palm branches, and Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then you have the voice of God coming down. God didn't allow them to understand everything that he said, but they said, this is, this is amazing, it sounds like thunder. I think it was an angel talked to him. All of these things being done to authenticate this one event, that Jesus presented himself as the king. And they said to him, well, how can this be? Because uh, uh, in verse 34, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? This would perplex someone. Wait a minute, they might say. Doesn't sound illogical. They say, well, if the Son of Man is going to live forever, well, how can he be lifted up? In other words, die. He's going to live forever, and he's going to die. They didn't understand how these two things could be reconciled. It's perfectly reconciled in Christ. Because Jesus did die a horrible death on the cross. It was a horrible death. Somebody once said to me, as a young Christian, I heard it said during a sermon, that... If you were the only one on earth, Jesus still would have died for you. Now, that makes sense. That's one of those what-ifs. Of course, we're not the only one on earth. But I believe that to be true. And I took that personally. And I think the best thing we can do whenever we read the Bible or listen to a sermon, take it personally. Someone says to me, Pastor, I felt like you were preaching at me. <laughs> I was. I don't really do that, by the way. I don't pick people out and say, this is how I'm going to. 
you know, bring a sermon. Sometimes I will for Jim, but for most other people, I won't do this. Say, but the best thing we can do is to take it personally. And so when this person said that if you were the only one on earth, Jesus would have died for you, I'm thinking, I believe that. I know that didn't happen. I know I'm not the only person here. But I believe Jesus would have died for me because there's no other way for me to be saved. And when you take it personally, and you should always take the Bible personally, always take preaching personally, always, always, always take it personally. And we think, he died for me. The Son of God came, walked among men, lived a sinless life, died a vicarious death, in other words, a death for somebody else. He was brutally beaten, scourged, whipped, cat of nine tails, beaten, forced to carry his own cross. Beyond any normal level of physical ability, he, he went more than I think any other man could have done. The Bible says in, again, Isaiah 52 and 53, that his visage was so marred more than any man. In other words, he was beaten so badly and, and, and cut and bruised, you couldn't even recognize him. That's how badly he was beaten. And then I think, well, wait a minute. He would have died for me if I was the only one. It was one of those moments, and as you grow in the Lord, you have a lot of these moments. But that was one of those moments where I said, I'm in. And I had gotten saved prior to that, but I'm thinking, you know, this is personal. I want to take this personal. I want, I want my life with Jesus. We want our lives to, with Jesus to be, take it personally. It's not a religious thing. It's not a, some religious test we got to pass. I'm going to take it personally. You know why some people walk away? Maybe because they never took it personally. And I don't, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But we've got to take it personally, apply it personally. Jesus made his triumphal entry with such a display of intimacy with his friends, public pronouncement to the people so everybody could see. And Lazarus, just a token of miracle, walking around, everybody's you know, kind of freaking out in a way. Some people are super happy. Some people are super perplexed. But there it is. Un it's absolutely a remarkable moment. And then the voice of God comes down. Amazing. Amazing. And it is true. If we were the only ones, he would do it for us. So, very importantly, in fulfillment of biblical scripture, written multiple times and many years before, this was the official fulfillment of messianic prophecy no one can ever say god you didn't keep your word because he kept it perfectly the messiah would be cut off and live forever because jesus who would die would rise from the dead and stand at the right hand of the throne of god and someday soon he's coming back and he has come back and michelle perfect song what if he came five minutes ago where would you be let's bow our heads for just a minute and uh, I love the invitation time. It's a time for decision. I, I believe very strongly in making decisions. You know, of course, prayerfully and, and honestly. And with, if we make a vow, we keep a vow. And, but I love decision time, invitation time. Are you saved? You know, your sin has separated you from God. And I say that to everybody because it's true for everybody. And Jesus is the only way to take care of that situation. The Bible's clear, and it pronounces it time and time again. And we need to repent of our sin. 
and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior for, and ask God to forgive us. It's the gospel. We talked in Sunday school, how are we going to fix America? With the gospel. Added to that, how can churches be strong? Proclaim the gospel. How can we be saved? Apply the gospel. If you never repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do so now. And I know it's an invitation we give out regularly, and I, I hope we always will, because it's so important. Dear God, please forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm separated because of my sin. But I don't want to be separated anymore. I want to know for sure that I'm saved. And so I'm asking you, God, to please forgive me for being a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross in payment of my sin, and I accept him as my Savior. Lord, please save me and change me. I pray that it's everyone's prayer here today that, number one, that you've got that settled, but number two, that's a message I want to proclaim with zeal, with vigor, and every opportunity I possibly can proclaim that wonderful message. We're going to stand and sing a couple verses of invitation. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, you know, Jesus made a public profession, public procession, and times for us is make public profession. Might be God's dealing with a specific thing in our hearts, maybe to get saved, maybe in some other area, but feel free to come to the altar and pray in your seats as we sing.